Hello and welcome to The Lowdown's podcast. I'm Alice Pelton, co-founder and CEO of The Lowdown, the world's first review platform for contraception. I set up The Lowdown because I spent my 20s struggling with side effects from the pill. I wanted to create a safe space for people to anonymously share their experiences. And to date, we've collected over 200,000 data points on every method. Our mission is to make it easier for people to choose, access and use their contraception. In each episode of this show, we'll be using the data and insights from our platform and interviews with experts to give you the lowdown on everything about your contraception, from the pill to the coil to the implant. We'll be speaking to the doctors who prescribe it and the women who've tried it, so you can understand the pros and cons and get answers to the questions you've always wanted to ask. Whether you're looking to start or change your contraception, or you're interested in learning more about the 16 methods and over 60 brands available, this is the place for you. But first, a quick disclaimer. Anything we talk about in this podcast is not to be taken as medical advice. You should always discuss your contraception with your doctor. The insights we talk about from the lowdown are based on thousands of anonymous user reviews and are not gathered in a clinical trial setting. In this episode, we'll be talking about the hormonal IUS, or hormonal coil. We'll be speaking to Dr. Rachel Cooper on how she fits them, and my best mate Rose on what it's like to have one. The hormonal coil is a small T-shaped plastic device that's put into your womb by a doctor or nurse and releases the hormone progestogen to stop you getting pregnant. Personally, I love the hormonal coil. I had the Marina for about three years and thought it was great, and lots of other women seem to love it too. It has the highest overall satisfaction rating of all methods of contraception at theldown.com, with women on average rating it 3.6 out of 5. According to UN data, The coil was actually one of the most popular forms of reversible contraception in the world, only beaten by condoms. Roughly 17% of women around the world who use modern contraceptives have one. That's 160 million women. Half of these women live in China, where a whopping one in four women who use contraception have one. Now, there are two types of coil, the hormonal intrauterine system, or IUS, and the non-hormonal copper intrauterine device. We'll be talking about the copper IUD in a later episode. And just quickly, there are four brands of hormonal coil. The Morena, the Kylina and Levacert and the Jades. They all contain a type of progestogen called levonorgestrel. The first three, the Morena, Kylina and Levacert, are all the same size, just over three centimetres by three centimetres. And they last five years. The Jades coil is slightly smaller and only lasts three years. In the first section of today's show, we'll find out from Rachel who can have a hormonal coil and what sorts of side effects you may get and how it can impact our periods, skin and mood. Then Rose and Rachel explain what it's like to get the coil fitted. We'll find out whether doctors get nervous and why some of them wear goggles. Just a warning that we're going to talk through this process in fairly intimate detail, but I wanted to make sure we're not sugarcoating anything. Uh, Now let's introduce Dr. Rachel Cooper. Dr. Rachel Cooper is a GP uh, who works in Edinburgh. She finished her diploma in sexual health in 2018 and has been fitting coils since last year. Uh, Hi, Rachel. Hello. Hello. Um, So could you tell us a bit about how the hormonal coil actually works to stop us from getting pregnant? 
Yeah, so the main way that it works is um, probably to make the lining of the womb really, really thin so that an embryo can't implant and you can't get pregnant. But there's a couple of other ways. So it also thickens up the mucus um, in around the cervix, which is the opening to the womb. And that's so it's the, 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 the mucus is too thick for sperm to get through to fertilize the egg. Um, and in some women, it will prevent uh, the release of eggs. So that's ovulation. Um, but that won't happen for everyone. What sorts of women suit or should consider getting the hormonal coil? So it's a really good method of contraception for, for lots of women. Um, and lots of people can really have a coil. Um, I guess few people that probably, well, shouldn't have a coil or we wouldn't be able to fit a coil in are people that have just had given birth. So um, I know that some people will have a coil put in after they've had a C-section straight away. So at the time of the C-section, um, some women have one put in straight away after they've given birth. But if you don't have one put in then, then you would have to wait four weeks. Other reasons you wouldn't be able to have a coil if, would be if you had an infection in the womb at the time or there was any chance that, you know, you had you had a sexually transmitted infection um, or there was any worries about womb cancer or cervical cancer and some, some forms of breast cancer as well. And um, some women have um, wombs that are slightly odd shapes and that would mean they would be very difficult to fit a coil for them. But otherwise, it's a really good form of contraception for, for anyone, really. It's, you know, you don't have to have had children to have a coil. And I think that's a myth that, um, that, that quite a lot of people sort of worried about, that they have to have had a child before they have a coil. and They, they definitely don't. Um, it's really good for women who aren't very good at remembering to take a pill or don't want to take something every day. Um, and it's particularly good for people who have you know, really heavy or painful periods, um, things like endometriosis. Um, it's actually you know, the, the first line um, contraception and treatment for heavy, people with heavy periods. Great. Well, <clears throat> let's see, uh, bring in one of these women. Um, my friend uh, Rose is joining us. Uh, she's 30 years old and replaced her copper IUD with the hormonal coil last summer. Uh, so she's had it for about a year. Hi, Rose. Thanks for joining us. Hello. <laughs> so why did you choose to get the hormonal coil? As you said, uh, firstly, I had the copper coil and I chose that because I wanted something that wasn't hormonal based. I think at the time I've been on the pill for maybe 10 years or something like that, which I got on really, really well with. But then when I came off it, it turned out that it was masking some symptoms of polycystic ovary syndrome. So I wanted to have something that would just let my body be. Ten years is quite a long time. Um, unfortunately, the copper coil didn't really work for me. Um, I didn't really get on with it. So this was the next lowest hormone option, excluding condoms. Um, and I discussed it quite a lot with my doctor. and We kind of settled on it being a good option to try out. Great. Um, and Rachel, could you talk us through what happens when you actually fit a hormonal coil? What are the stages or things that you, you go through? Yeah, so I guess we could just talk about what would happen if you came to an appointment to, to get a coil. So um, I guess the doctor would first of all start off by taking a history. Um, they'd probably ask you a little bit about your periods, 
they'd want to check you know you weren't at risk of having an STI they'd definitely want to check you weren't pregnant and um, that's another reason that we wouldn't be able to fit a call if there was any concern that you were pregnant so you must have used um, sort of adequate contraception for the three weeks before the appointment or certainly since your last period not to have had any unprotected sex in that time um, and so they'd, they'd find out a bit about you about your past medical history um, you know different contraceptions that you've tried before um, and then probably talk to you a little bit about the risks um, and check that you know you definitely want to go ahead with it. So if we're going to discuss some of the risks so um, there's a few few different things that the doctor would want to cover with you. Um, one of the risks is um, the risk of perforating the room, so that, with the womb so that's when you sort of make a small hole in the lining of the womb and it that's very, very rare, but obviously if that happens, um, then quite serious. So it's about a one in a thousand chance of that happening um, and more likely to happen if you were breastfeeding um, or in the, the, the few months after you've given birth. Um, other risks would be of an ectopic pregnancy. So obviously your risk of getting pregnant when you have a coil is massively reduced. It's a really good form of contraception, so it's over 99% effective. But um, if you were to get pregnant when you have a coil, and this is any type of coil, whether it's the copper coil or the hormonal coil, then that pregnancy is more likely to be an ectopic pregnancy. So that's where it implants into the fallopian tubes that um, connect the ovaries to the womb. And then there's about one in a hundred chance of causing some infection. Um, so obviously everything that, that's done is done in a sterile way, but you are, you are putting a foreign body into the womb. So there's always going to be some chance of infection. Um, and then there's about one in 20 chance of the coil falling out. Um, and that's more likely to happen if you were having very heavy bleeding. And um, that would be a reason why we would ask you to look for the coil, have a, well, have a feel for the coil after it's been put in and check, check that it's there. And then we'd also sort of discuss um, the effect that it's going to have on uh, your periods or bleeding. Um, and I know you've spoken a little bit about that earlier, about, you know, how... For some women, it would stop the bleeding. For other women, they would have lighter periods and what they would expect in the first few months. So some spotting, irregular bleeding, which is completely normal for, for women after they have a coil put in. Um, and then, yeah, we'd, we'd, I'd often discuss how we put the coil in. So... First of all, obviously check the woman's happy to go ahead and have it done. We also have a chaperone in the room and someone to help us hand us bits of equipment. And um, so it often be sort of healthcare assistant or nurse or someone. And um, so there will be two people in the room. You can have, um, you know, partner or friend come in. Most women would normally come on their own, but um, some women prefer to have someone in and that's absolutely fine as long as they're happy with that. Um one thing the doctor might ask you to do is to do a pregnancy test before you have it done. And also it's quite nice to have emptied your bladder before you have a coil put in. So we might ask you to go to the toilet because having a full bladder and having a speculum exam is not very comfortable. <laughs> I, well, I've had it done. So yeah, uh, it's not, it's a good, good thing to go for that wee beforehand. Yeah, definitely. What, yeah. <laughs> what's, yeah, what's the first thing that happens? So I would first um, examine uh, the, the patient's tummy um, just have place a hand on their tummy, check that everything's nice and soft, can't feel anything, any, any masses or anything like that. Um, and then I would do a pelvic exam. 
So with my hands, I'd have a feel inside um, the vagina. So you're feeling for the womb and feeling for the neck of the womb, so feeling for the cervix as well. And just getting an idea of which way your womb is facing or tilted um, and exactly sort of where the cervix is just to help guide you a little bit. Um, and just check that the, the, the um, patient's comfortable that they've not got any pain when you're doing that as well. Um, so then we go ahead and put the speculum in. So that's the sort of duck beaks type device that we use to open up the vagina so we can visualise the neck of the womb, visualise the cervix. Um, and that can feel a little bit stretchy, sometimes a little bit cold um, and a bit uncomfortable. But best thing to do is just to try and relax, relax your bottom down into the bed um, and, and keep concentrating on your breathing because if you're tense then it'll make it a lot more uncomfortable um, and then the next thing we would do is if we're putting local anaesthetic in that's that's when we'd go ahead and do that so I personally don't do that for everyone but um, some doctors will do it for everyone's and I would offer it so if the, if the patient really wanted to have local anaesthetic in then we would inject that into the cervix and is um, that something all women can ask for or it, does it involve, I guess, what, why, do, why is it not always offered or, or done? I guess a little bit doctor's preference. Um, so I myself as a GP, I fit them in my GP surgery. I also um, do a clinic once a week in a sexual health clinic. And we don't have the local anaesthetic or the equipment to do that in the GP practice um, and so I wouldn't wouldn't offer it in the GP practice so for some women it doesn't really make much difference at all I think the one thing that it helps for is to reduce the pain um, and the crampy feeling that you might feel when we put the clip onto the cervix to stabilize it which is the next thing that we would do yeah so talk us through stabilizing the cervix so we stabilizing <laughs> So we use a um, an instrument called uh, either a tenaculum or a volcella, and they're um, sort of. It sounds a bit strange to say, but they're they're sort of they've got a little claw on the end um, that you clip onto the the <laughs> cervix. So if you think about the cervix looking almost like a donut, um, you would you would hold onto to one side of it, and that just lets you hold it in place. Um, and you then have a bit of traction on the cervix so because otherwise if you just try to put the the coil in without holding onto the cervix then you know it the, the cervix isn't a, it's not not a fixed thing it moves around and you would you know you'd more likely to, to end up pushing the coil through the wall of the womb and you, you wouldn't be able to have it fixed in place um so it's really important that you have that and so when you put that on the cervix it can feel like quite a deep period pain crampy feeling um and lots of people find that that's not quite so bad when you put the local anaesthetic in but I wouldn't say the local anaesthetic really helps with the other parts of the procedure um if they were all you know if you if it's going to plan and you, you were getting the coiling quite easily um I don't think it really helps with, with the rest of it and obviously it's an extra step that you have to have done so some people just don't want it just want to sort of crack straight on and 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 you know, reduce the time that they're going to be on the couch for. Um, and other people want it. They've had it in the past and, and they want it. So if, if we're able to offer it to them, then, then I would do. 
so you've uh, you've got me on the table. Uh, you've uh, examined, uh, given me a pelvic exam, popped the speculum in, uh, had a good look, uh, potentially done the local anaesthetic, and then stabilize the cervix yeah what happens next so then we want to measure the length of your womb so most people's wombs are about six to nine centimeters some people's slightly bigger and we probably couldn't put a coil in if it was um much less than six centimeters so some people do have very small wombs sort of five centimeters um and if it's if it's more like five centimeters, it's probably not okay to put a coil in, um, just because the coils themselves are sort of near that that size, um, and you wouldn't want it sort of coming out at all. So we'd measure the length of the womb. We use a bendy, thin bendy plastic stick called a sound to measure the length of the womb, um, and that just goes sort of in and out. So again, that can feel a little bit crampy, but as soon as we've got that in and we've got the length, we take that out again straight away. Um, so that cramp will settle down after that. Um, and the reason that you want to do that, because putting a coil in is what we call a blind procedure. So obviously I can see your cervix, but I can't see through your cervix into the womb. So I need to have some idea of how far I need to put the coil in. So once I never, I never knew that we all had different size wombs. I, I guess I'd never really thought about that before. Uh, did you know that one? I, I only knew when my womb got measured, but I didn't know why. <laughs> I didn't know why she was measuring it, and I was also visualizing like a, you know those little tape measures that you get in B and Q, and you can lock them open. I was kind of visualizing that as she did it, and you can feel, like you said, you can feel this kind of crampy feeling. And I was just imagining her clicking the tape measure open and then holding it out, and just thinking, <laughs> "How big is my womb? I have no idea." So yeah, so I mean, you and your womb will change size slightly. Um, so you know, after obviously after you've given birth, and if you're breastfeeding, and um, but but and generally most people's is probably around seven centimeters, um, give or take. But yeah, six to nine centimeters probably probably the the average. So after we've um, measured the length of the womb, we would get the uh, coil out of its packaging, and then we'd insert it. So. We've got the correct length on there and then we just insert it and um, release the wings and then that leaves the device inside and you pull away the rest of the device and then that leaves some some threads or strings that are hanging down there quite long. So then we need to cut those to about one to two centimetres um, and then we remove the speculum. So in total, it probably only takes sort of two, three minutes to do it. For some people, if things are a little bit more um, complicated, um, then it might take a little bit, little bit longer. But for a straightforward insertion, it would it would last two or three minutes. So some people can be feeling quite crampy at that point. So um, obviously the womb's got a foreign body in it. It's not used to having something there. Um, so it, it won't like it. So you will be having some sort of period cramps at that time. And some women can feel a little bit lightheaded as well. So we would just ask you to stay lying down for a few minutes until, you know, you're feeling okay um, and, and check that you're not too dizzy and sort of sit up slowly. Um, and then people can just get dressed. Do you get a cup of tea and a biscuit at any point? Um, no, 
I don't think we do offer that. Um, we would we do have a supply of uh, an emergency supply of lollipops and chocolates oh. in case people people are feeling a bit dizzy and lightheaded because that can definitely help. And having a drink, drink of water <laughs> yeah, can help yeah. as well. My reaction a lot more. <laughs> I I certainly got like a jelly legs feeling afterwards. Yeah. Uh, Rose, what what was it like for you getting it fitted? What was the the, the worst or or the best bit? Best bit? Uh, the highlight. <laughs> <laughs> the highlights I'll come to the highlight because the highlight was afterwards it was an excellent highlight um to be honest it was it was painful but it wasn't anything that I felt was like super crazy it was kind of weird because it was deep cramping like feeling but I knew that the cramping feeling wasn't coming from my own body doing it it was coming mm. from an external source that was creating it um the whole thing was it was quite straightforward to go in. The doctor and the healthcare assistant were in the room and the doctor really explained everything to me. So I knew exactly what was going to happen, which I think was a good thing because um, I didn't know about the measuring of the womb, which was the bit that took the longest, I think, and probably was the most painful. Yeah, I found it the most painful bit, actually. I don't know if it was because it went on for longer, slightly longer, or if it's because the first bit and I wasn't kind of used to the feeling. Mm. But it, it definitely was the bit that was the most painful for me, I think. Um, it was also not related to the actual fitting of the quilt, but it was really, really hot. It was like 38 degrees. Do you remember that week last summer? And so I was already sweating. There was no air conditioning in the room. And I sweat when I'm anxious. And so you're naked from the waist down. My shins were sweating. I could feel it going down. I felt like I had to say to the doctor, I'm really sorry, my shins are sweating. And then yeah. she just said, yeah, they are. And I don't know if it makes it or better. Um, but... Uh, yeah, so I had the copper coil taken out at the same time, and the taking out took literally yeah. one second. She said cough, and I did. I didn't even really know I was coughing, so it was a half-hearted, mm. <laughs> and it came out straight away. I think you just pull. I don't know, um, Rachel. Is that what happens when they take it out? <laughs> yeah, so um, that's why we leave the threads there. Um, you know, when we cut them to sort of one, two centimeters, that's basically so that you can feel it and check that it's in the right place and you know it's there but it's also so that we can take it out easily so we literally just grab hold of the the threads and just pull and ask you to cough because it sort of distracts you a little bit um, and then yeah most of them just come out re- really easily okay so what happened was she took out my coil and then she did warn me that it might happen um but I didn't know what it would feel like which is that my cervix went into spasm um which I don't know if the crampy feeling was that or if it's just your whole cervix has been poked around a little bit, so it doesn't really like it. Mm. Um, and then she couldn't get the other one in, so we kind of sat and waited for a little bit. But obviously, I was there with my sweaty shins in her face. She was wearing a pair of goggles just waiting for my cervix to what? stop cramping. Why did she have goggles on? Rachel, do you wear goggles? No, I don't wear goggles. <laughs> I don't want to know why she wore goggles. <laughs> I think the information left with the doctor. I just don't want to know. just why. Just wear gloves and an apron. Gloves and an apron. She probably looked, took one like a rose and was like, "This one's going to need goggles." <laughs> oh gosh, I don't even want to know what she saw down there. Um, but actually, the insertion itself was fine. Um, it was more kind of a crampy feeling afterwards, um, but it was pretty quick. And yeah. like you said, I got maybe mildly lightheaded afterwards. But this comes on to the highlight, which was that Alice cooked me crispy broccoli pasta afterwards did I yeah you did you came over Aww. to my house and my boyfriend um I'd said to him no you don't need to come and he 
I think he felt bad that he was making me do something that for him was very unknown. So as I came out of the doctor surgery, he was sitting in the waiting room with a box of chocolates and walked me for literally 20 seconds home to my door. That's when you know, Rose. That is when you know. I've got a friend who, after getting her coil fitted, her boyfriend came to pick her up and ordered an Uber pool um, home. So she's in the car like, not not feeling great. And then... um, the door opens and a complete stranger just comes and sits next to them. And she's like, who's this? <laughs> just sharing, <laughs> sharing, yeah. Things not to do after getting your coil fitted, ordering an Uber pool. Um, <laughs> but good things to do, chocolates, cooking broccoli pasta, hanging out, yeah, having a glass of wine. Um, congratulations. Don't, don't organise a trip to the gym or anything like that yeah. as one of my housemates did at university and then yeah. to them, had to come yeah home. have a have a low expectation effort evening mm-hmm. um yeah put your feet up have a glass of wine and, and congratulate yourself that you've got your contraception sorted but for many wonderful years to come Absolutely. Um, I want to ask Rachel do you ever get nervous fitting coils I don't anymore I think when I first started doing them I was a little bit nervous. Um, I think, as I said before, because it's a blind procedure, you can't, you're not 100% sure of, you know, where exactly everything's going. Um, so I think until when the, the more confident you get, like with anything, I guess, any skill that you have, the more you do it, the more confident you get and you get a feel for um, exactly what you're doing and how things feel and, and, and you learn sort of new tricks and tips mm. and and so you, you know and the more you've done the more confident you become and so I think but it's really important obviously not to show that you're nervous because otherwise the patient might obviously think yeah. you're nervous um but yeah now now I definitely definitely don't don't feel nervous doing it so obviously everyone has a, a different experience and it depends on their pain threshold or uh maybe the experience of the person fitting it um I've actually we've got some reviews from women who've had the hormonal coil fitted uh, from the lowdown, and um, one woman says uh, she's eighteen to twenty five years old. Um, she gave it a four out of five, um, and she said the initial pain discomfort of getting a coil fitted is pretty much the only negative part of using this form of contraception. Other than that, it's been brilliant and lasts five years, which I think is great. Uh, another review, um, this one a five star review. I'd heard some horror stories, but for me, it was absolutely painless. Slight period cramps afterwards for a day or so, but that is all. Uh, and then a brilliantly honest account here from uh, uh, another woman. Uh, hurts like a MF when they put it in. Think worst period pain times three, lasting for between two days and two weeks. Paracetamol and ibuprofen did not touch it, just had to grip my teeth and suffer it, but subsided after about a week. Um, no complications um just you know just it can be very painful so uh yeah if you want to read more reviews from women that have had the core fitted um go to the ldown.com and check them out um is there anything that women can do when getting it fitted to make it more comfortable before or during or after rachel well like i just mentioned before it's being on your period is actually a good time to have it done so lots of people think that that would be a terrible time and they don't want to be having an intimate examination like that when they're on the period but it's actually um, a great time to try and fit it because the cervix is naturally just slightly more open and which makes the fitting really easy Um, 
but if you're not on your period and, and for everyone else really just really trying to relax and concentrate on your breathing concentrate on trying to relax your bottom into the couch um, because when we tense every you know the muscles tense up and, and that's the muscles around the pelvic area as well um I guess just talking to the the often the, the healthcare assistant or the nurse that's helping the doctor is really good at chatting almost like your hairdresser just chatting away so just engage in a meaningless conversation with them just trying to distract yourself um and you know let the doctor know whether you want them to to talk you through exactly what they're doing or what's going to happen next some people find that really useful other people say to me I don't want to I don't want to know what you're doing don't tell me just get on and do it so um yeah make it clear whether you want to know what's coming next and um, and, you know, be aware that you can ask the doctor to stop at any point if you're finding it too uncomfortable. And once you've got it fitted, you need to go for a checkup a few weeks afterwards? Um, so different places might do different things. Certainly, um, we don't offer a routine checkup afterwards. We would just ask the patient to um, check their own threads at about four to six weeks after they'd had it put in. Um, and if you weren't able to feel them, then get in touch usually with, with the GP or, or the sexual health clinic and um, they'll do a speculum and just check that they can they can see them there. Um, sometimes it is a little bit tricky to, to feel your threads so you're not quite sure where you're feeling or what you're feeling for. So um, if you're not able to do that, then, um, then yeah, the best thing to do would be to see a GP. I could never feel my threads, um, but... Rose, could you feel yours? Yeah, I can feel mine. Um, sometimes. Oh it's, yeah, you still got them. Yeah, I've still got them. Sorry. Sometimes it's they're longer than others, um, and I had them cut short because my boyfriend could feel them. And then I checked one day, and they were super long again. And I was worried that it had dislodged, mm. so I called my doctor and went back to get them checked. But it just seems like they move up and down, so like the tides. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the high woman, tide. I guess the woman's cycle is like, like a moon. Maybe mm. they go like the moon. Yeah. Um, yeah, they do. They they can move a little bit, and when you're on your period, they will you know drop down a little bit. Um, if you shouldn't be able to feel anything like a matchstick because that would indicate that the coils come too far down. But as long as you can just feel the threads, even if you can just feel one of them, that that's absolutely fine. Um, and for lots of women, um, they the threads do just sort of wiggle up into the cervix. Um, that's quite a normal thing to happen, but it is important if you can't feel them that you that you do ask uh, go to your GP and just check that they can see them. And if they can't, they would probably organise an ultrasound for you just to mm-hmm. double check the coils definitely in the right place. And are you meant to just sort of stick your finger out there and have a wiggle around? Is that how you check your threads? Yeah. So essentially, um, so some people's cervix is quite far back, um, so they would find it more difficult. So. A good thing to do is I always tell women to squat down when you're in the shower because that sort of slightly drops the cervix down a little bit and to just have a feel. So the cervix feels like the tip of your nose. So if you feel the tip of your nose, the cervix feels very, very similar to that. And you'll feel the threads coming out of there. Um, and I always let them have a feel of the threads once I've cut them. Um, always give them you know, the excess and just ask them to have a feel of that just so they know exactly what, what they're feeling for. Um, but yeah, some people just don't like it as well don't like having a feel up there and that's absolutely fine as well so as long as a doctor or nurse has checked afterwards if you're not going to have a feel just about four to six weeks afterwards just double check that that it's there then that's fine 
and now obviously some someone else might be having a feel of those threads um <laughs> you know uh rose um have you your partner experienced yes my boyfriend can feel my threads and i've had them cut short a bit shorter twice actually when I had the copper coil I don't know if the threads were made of a different fabric if they were plastic or they were thinner or something because we never had that problem but with the morena if I put my own finger in it does feel a bit harder and a bit thicker and so he can feel it more now Um, but then I also did some research on the internet and I read this girl saying that she her boyfriend had said he could feel the threads Mm. and she'd been back to have them cut once and he said it again and she told him that she'd been to the doctor to have them cut but she hadn't and he never mentioned it again so I don't really know if he can really feel it or if it's psychological just it's just a competition let's let's be honest Um, I guess um, I guess they might be able to feel them with the hands but I don't think you should be able to feel them you know if you're having penetrative sex I don't think men can feel it then it's not uncomfortable for them because my boyfriend says that it kind of spikes him I don't know but it's all (laughs) getting in now um I don't know if it's in it's not in all positions it's kind of ones that would be more intensely Mm -hmm. and he's he says that he can feel something but he's not really sure what it is I think the Um, other thing is is um Almost sometimes having the threads cut shorter can be worse because if they're longer, then they probably curl up around the back of the cervix. Um, Whereas if they're shorter, then they're more likely to just be hitting the end of the the thread. And Mm -hmm. that might be a bit sharp, I guess. I think that might be what the issue is actually because mine are quite short. It's a defence mechanism. I built it in like a fortress. So that's the kind of getting it fitted part. Um, how are you finding it now, Rose? Now you've got it and you've had it for, what, now a year? I love it. I, I wish that I had done it sooner. I think I was of that generation, and I don't know if that's still a thing, but when I was 15, I went to the GP and I talked to them about contraception options. And I think they just prescribed everyone the pill at that time. It wasn't They didn't talk to you about other options. It was, have the pill, off you go. Um, and then when I came off it, I looked at more options, and now... It's so easy because it's in once and it takes, I don't know, 15 minutes and you get a box of chocolates afterwards. Or broccoli pasta. Or broccoli pasta. Marvellous. And then since then, my periods are really much lighter. They're much shorter. They're way less painful. Um, I don't really see that there is a negative. Great. The only thing I kind of found a bit weird at first maybe was that my period cycle length really increased. It used to be around 38 days and now it's kind of, between 50 and 100 um more to the 100 side it feels and I found at first like as a woman I'm so used to my body naturally going through cycles and almost telling the time through that where my moods are and I kind of knew where I was in myself and and when I stopped having that it, it took a bit of getting used to it. it was kind of like in my head I knew it's about time for a period and for you to feel grumpy and eat some ice cream now but I didn't get that urge mm-hmm. um but now it's it's actually better yeah I mean it'd be good to talk about periods um I was having a look at the patient information leaflet uh for the for the marina and it says under the very common side effects section my favorite section of the leaflet that um more than one in ten women get uh vaginal bleeding including spotting absent light or infrequent menstrual periods um and then reading on further down the leaflet starts to sound a little bit like Boris Johnson's stay alert advice and says um 
You may have lighter periods or painful periods or some spotting like bleeding in between periods and irregular bleeding during the first few months. You may have prolonged or heavy bleeding or an increase in the frequency of bleeding, usually in the first two to three months before a reduction in blood loss is achieved. Overall, you're likely to have fewer days bleeding in each month and you might eventually have no periods at all. So, um, yeah, super clear, uh, really. So, (laughs) the general gist is that periods will be lighter, but we can't predict what's going to happen for you. You know, what I would normally say to people is that any bleeding you have will probably be quite light and certainly after you've had it in for sort of three to six months, will becoming be becoming lighter and lighter. And by the time you've had it in for a year, most people's blood loss is reduced by sort of over 90%. We just can't predict or guarantee what the pattern will be like. Yeah. And it, it's quite interesting looking at the data around this from the lowdown reviews. Um, the majority of women uh, who've left a review um, at the lowdown say it stopped their periods, um, just over 50% of women. Uh, about a quarter, 25% say it's got lighter, their periods have got lighter, uh, and a similar amount say they've got kind of spotting um, or like bleeding between periods, um, and another sort of 20% say their periods have got uh, more irregular. Um, and lots of women who leave reviews um, love the fact that their periods stop. Um, thank God, no periods, a bit of spotting for the first year, but much more manageable than real periods. Ace, says one woman. Um, uh, another says I no longer have periods very light spotting but not in any regular pattern the only negative is I find it uncomfortable when they replace it every five years painful cramps but it only lasts 24 hours do you know Rachel what the reason um, it might stop or or pause our bleeds is is there any science behind that Rachel well I think it's mainly because of the the way it works Um, it's thinning the lining of the womb so it's almost thinning it so much that you've not got anything to lose so a period is basically you shedding the lining of the womb and when it's been kept so thin there's there's hardly anything to shed makes sense uh and just moving on to some other potential side effects uh do you get any other side effects rose i don't think so i have polycystic ovarian syndrome already so my cycle wasn't super regular and I think this has probably allowed my body to go back into an irregular cycle or it's, it just hasn't been a massive difference to me. So I wouldn't say I've had anything negative, only positives for me. Because uh, having another look at our, our leaflet here, um, it mentions other side effects um, such as, uh, I mean, obviously lots of the contrac- hormonal contraceptives have these types of side effects in them. Um, you know, things from depression, headaches, acne, reduced sex drive. Uh, tender boobs um so, so let, let's pick out a few of these to talk about um i think the thing that the lowdowns data is currently talk, uh, pointing towards is the pelvic pla- pain and, and maybe sort of vaginal discharge related things um so sort of 62% of women say that they've got uh, womb cramps um which is obviously very much expected if you're if you're popping something in there um and we've heard from women like rose who who tell us that this this cramping tends to go away after a few weeks or months. Um, about half of women say they've seen increased vaginal discharge, um, but then an, about 30% report vaginal dryness. Um, one review here from a woman who gave it four out of five stars, she says positives, minimal hormonal mood weight related side effects and ceased periods. 
negatives, reduce sex drive and increase vaginal discharge. Um, so obviously lubrication and sex drive are both very closely interlinked um, and some of the reviews that we've gathered talk about the impact um, on sex drive uh, that, that, that the hormonal coil could cause. Um, about 50% of women who left a review say they've seen no change in their sex drive, but about 30% who've got the hormonal coil say they've potentially lost their sex drive or feel like they've lost their sex drive. Um, the good news is 11% of women feel their sex drives increased since they got it. Uh, Rachel, what sort of things can women do if they find their, if they find their coil is reducing their kind of lubrication down below? So I think buying just general over-the-counter lubricants, um, you know, if you, particularly when you're having sex, using those. Um, and then if people are just generally finding that the vagina is a little bit dry, then there's lots of sort of vaginal moisturisers that people can use. And again, you can buy those over-the-counter. So there's a couple of um, different ones, um, one called Yes um, and another one called Silk. They're both meant to be quite good. Um so those mainly be the things that we'd be suggesting. But I guess if it's a real problem for you and, you know, so much of a problem that, it, you know, lubrication of things isn't working, then um, you could consider having the coil taken out. But in my experience, it's, it's not really something that, that people complain about or would ever have a, have a coil removed for. It's a whole new level of moisturisation I never knew about. <laughs> No, they give you moisturisers for your face, for your left elbow, for the back of your knee, and now you've got a special vagina moisturiser. Yeah, sounds great. Yeah. Um, okay, and I guess another thing that comes up consistently in our reviews uh, for pretty much all contraceptives is um, tender boobs. Uh, now, I personally have tender boobs pretty much the whole time, uh, and it's really hard to tell what's causing that. Um, and about 48% of women who've left a review for the hormonal course, so they've got tender boobs um have you noticed any boob changes rose i think i've noticed a boob change when i was on the copper coil on the copper coil my boobs were really sore in the few days before my period like really tender i couldn't lie on them and i'd never had that before mm. and now on the marina i don't have that anymore so i don't know if the copper coil was my original levels of boob tenderness mm -hmm. and now the marina has alleviated that yeah but no consistent boob no consistent boob symptoms. yeah interesting um and i know something else that lots of women care about uh, me included is is skin uh so i'm a 31 year old woman who still gets endless chin spots um and uh, yeah it's something that a lot of women really worry about when when starting a new method of contraception um looking at our results about 44 percent of women say that the hormonal coil has made their skin worse um, but 18% uh, of people say it's improved their skin. Um, here's one review from a woman who gave it four stars. Uh, she says, caused cystic acne on my chin and jawline. This has stopped since I went back to the combined pill. However, periods stopped almost completely, which was excellent for my endometriosis. Um, Rachel, could you explain why the progestogen in methods like the hormonal coil can sometimes cause skin problems for women? Yeah, so I think... It's not entirely clear, but the, the, the thought is that progestogen increases something called sebum, which is like an oily substance that's released from um, glands in the skin. And then that can um, cause the pores to get blocked, and then that's why you would get acne. 
Um, I think it's interesting hearing that review from one of the reviews just saying that, that, that they felt the coil had caused cystic acne, um, and but when they went back on the combined pill, you know, it cleaned up. I think the thing there is that actually the estrogen component of the combined pill will be helping to treat the acne um, and that the coil won't have necessarily caused it. Um, it was probably more coming off the combined pill that, that the skin got a little bit worse. I mean, certainly um, some of the other methods of contraception containing progesterone, so the mini pill or the injection or the implant, um, they are higher doses of progesterone, so probably more likely to cause you a problem with your skin. Whereas with the hormonal coil, it's only a really small dose of progesterone that's been released and really only meant to be acting locally in the womb rather than you getting any sort of whole body systemic side effects from it, although some women do. Um, so you may find that it slightly makes your skin worse, but it wouldn't be one of the you know one of the main things. And actually, for, for lots of women, I think that find the skin's worse is because they've they've changed from something like the combined pill and gone to that, and it was probably combined pill that was making things better. It's interesting you say that. I was on the combined pill for ten years, and when I came off it, I got really bad skin. And I went to the doctor for my bad skin, not thinking it was anything to do with contraceptional hormones. And I just basically wanted some kind of cream I could put on my face. And he pushed at the time for me to have these tests for PCOS, which I did have. Um, and it was basically that the pill was making those symptoms better without me even knowing that I had them. And then the suggested treatment, he said, was we, we can put you back on the pill and it will make your skin clear up. So it's interesting that you say that because I always think the pill really helped my skin rather than made it worse and it's something that people don't talk about a lot mm. is the positive side effects of taking some of these hormones yeah. I know lots of women love the combined pill for, for that reason um and there's a there's more progesterone only methods out there like the implant the coil uh, the injection um but yeah it's, it's definitely we need to talk about it more Mm-hmm. Peacock, is that what they call Sorry, PCOS? Poly- I think days? it's actually poly. Yeah, I thought it was peacock. Oh wow! I've been saying it wrong. Let's start no, it right. Peacock. Peacock. You call it peacock. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Yeah, fine. We'll up. We'll update the uh, brand guidelines. Um. Great. So finally, let's just quickly talk about mood. Um. So whilst we know science has yet to prove a direct causal link between hormonal contraception and our mental health, um, lots of women who've left reviews at the lowdown seem to back up uh, the kind of side effects around depression and nervousness that they mention in, in the hormonal coil uh, information leaflet. The hormonal coil actually performs the best in terms of impact on mood versus other hormonal contraceptives, with only 32% of women reporting a negative impact uh, and 46% reporting no impact on their mood and emotions, uh, and, and 14% uh, feeling it's actually had a positive impact. Uh, so that's um, some really good news. You've not found that it's impacted your mood, Rose? No, I no. feel good. Yeah, good. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks so much, Rachel, for uh, joining us and to Rose. Um, I've certainly learned a huge amount about um, the size of my womb, um, the size of things that might be able to fill threads, um, yeah, it's been really, really interesting. And I wish that we we could talk about this stuff in such detail more. And I hope that um, our listeners have found it as insightful as me. And that's it for this episode of the Lowdowns podcast. Thanks so much for listening. In the next episode, we'll be talking about the most popular method of contraception in the UK, the combined pill. If you have any questions about the pill you want us to answer or feedback for us, 
don't hesitate to drop me an email at alice at theldown.com or slide into our DMs at gettheldown on Instagram. This show is produced by Holly Mecca-Taylor. Design is by Petra Raboli. And thanks to Nick Pelton and Helen Chatham for the music. <laughs>